And God, we thank you again for your great love for us. We thank you for Jesus. God, we thank you that we have hope because of him. And God, I do pray this morning that you would take your word and that your spirit would rightly apply it to our hearts. God, that he would do in us the work that he desires to do to make us into the image of your son, Jesus Christ. God, I pray that we would come humbly today before your word, knowing that it is eternal, that it is perfect. God, that it has been preserved for us, that we would value, God, the things that have been given to us in your word, and that we would seek to live them out for your honor and your glory. Thank you again. God, I do pray that you'd be with the kids downstairs as they practice their play, as they have a lesson, that that they would not get lost in the the practicing of a play that centers on the Christmas story, but but God, that they would be captivated by the Christmas story that they're um, they're preparing for uh, to reveal to the church next week. God, do great works in this place for your honor and glory. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. It's complicated. Do you remember in years past when this would pop up on social media, when somebody was having trouble in their relationship? It's complicated. It would flash on the screen. And oftentimes when people would select that as their relationship status, it would do more harm than good because when people saw that it's complicated... It only led to the rumor mill being cranked up, wondering what's going on in that relationship and why it is the way it is. Well, as we think about much of life, we understand that that phrase, it's complicated, really does a good job of describing our existence on this earth. As we think through the Christmas story, though, it's not complicated. And that's one of the things that I love about it. In fact, it's so simple that many in the world, when they look at us believing this Christmas story, think we're fools that believing or for believing something so simple could actually affect such a great change in individuals or in the population as a whole. We know that life is precious, that life is valuable, but a baby doesn't have the ability to do much of anything. So why would we put such an emphasis on this event that happened over 2,000 years ago? Well, we place an emphasis on this event because while this event is seemingly a normal event from its reading in the text of Luke 2, we understand that this was God's desired plan to bring about salvation to the world. And so while the Christmas story is is covered with things that are normal, we also understand at the very same time that there is nothing normal about it. And so as we look to the Christmas story today, I pray that we would see it in its simplicity and that we would allow it to uh, unveil what we have made so complicated in this life, that we would allow it to fix what's broken inside of us so that we can live for the honor and glory of the God who sent his son into this world. As God from eternity past knew the state that humanity would find themselves in, he also knew that it would take something of great worth to correct what had gone wrong. And in his understanding of the need and the cost, he was willing to send his son Jesus to come and be the savior of the world. This is in reality what the prophecies pointed us to. In Genesis 3.15, he says, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between her seed and thy seed, and it shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. 
In Isaiah 7, 14, the Bible says, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. In Isaiah 9, 6, it says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And in Zechariah 9, 9, the Bible says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass, and upon a colt the foal of an ass. In each of these prophecies, we see that there's an element that they are pointing to the one who would come and would right all wrongs and provide salvation through himself. And in each of these prophecies, we find this message of simplicity, and we see that it stands in the face of the complicated. What do I mean by that? Well, most of humanity will admit that the world is broken. If you go around and ask people, they'll admit that the world is filled with problems. People are hurting. Things are not as they should be, so to speak. And yet the prophecies of Christ bring with them a simple message that is often overlooked by those who are seeking to correct what has gone wrong. The world would say we need more money or more government or more troops or more freedom or more food. But though each of these things may bring an element of relief to the table that is temporal, the truth is none of these things are an ultimate fix for the state of the world. But let us be reminded this morning that there is one who came. Not to bring temporary relief to a complicated situation, but one who came to bring eternal peace through his sacrifice. And all who look to him and put their faith in this simple message will find rest and hope and healing and great joy as they think about where they were headed versus where they are now going in him. And the key in finding hope in this message is faith. As we've said many times, the knowledge of God is not enough to bring about salvation. The knowledge of the works of Christ is not the answer that your soul is longing for. But faith in God and faith in Christ takes knowledge and applies it. Faith says, Christ is the answer to my greatest problem. It is in Him I find hope in this life, and it is in Him that I find hope in the life to come. And so as the world we live in is a complicated world, the answer for having hope is really quite simple. And his name is Jesus. The big idea that we want to unpack today is this. While the depths of the Christmas story are unsearchable, the message of the Christmas story is really very simple. According to John, it's this. The Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. And in this simple message, we, try, we find true and lasting hope. And so let's look today at this simple story and see how our hearts can be encouraged this Christmas season. First thing we see in Luke's gospel, as I've been looking at it over the last few weeks, is the simple birth. The simple birth. If you were to form a plan to send a Savior into a situation that was hostile and devastating and seemingly hopeless, what would you do? Most of us would 
likely form some sort of committee or get a plan together or call in reinforcements or notify any person of power who had not yet been corrupted, and then we would go to battle. As God, though, the wise, omniscient creator of the world, looked on our hopeless situation, we see that he also formed a plan, but it was unlike any other that we would have come up with. This plan did not include great armies fighting for peace, but it began with a baby who needed attention and nurture and help and feeding and changing and burping. And this is how he set in motion uh, the plan to bring about eternal hope for the world. Does that sound crazy to anybody else? The world is broken, so we're going to send a baby to fix it. But as we've said already, we understand this was not just a normal baby. This was Jesus, God in the flesh. But the whole Christmas story is really surrounded by things that are normal, especially in verses 1 through 7. In verses 1 and 2, there was a normal decree. A census was being taken. It says, And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. You think taxes are a new thing? No. People have been paying taxes for a long time. He says, and this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And so this normal decree for a census to be taken uh, was to be taken so that they could uh, take the right amount of tax from the right amount of people so that the government could live as the government wanted to live. So there was a normal decree, nothing odd about that. There was a normal trip in verses 3 through 5 when this census was being taken place. People would have to return to their home towns, their home villages to give an account for themselves. And the Bible says, and all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife being great with child. And so there was a normal decree that there's going to be a census taken. And there was a normal trip that Mary and Joseph said, we need to take part in this event. And so they loaded everything up and they made their way to the city that they needed to go. We see that there was a normal gestation in verse number six. The Bible says, "And and so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. Mary went through the process of pregnancy like every other woman has ever gone. She felt the kick. She, she knew that there was something growing inside of her. And in that ninth month, she came to uh, the time where she was ready to give birth. The days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And then in verse 7, from all external purposes, it seems like there was a normal baby. The Bible says, And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger Because there was no room for them in the inn. And so this story is surrounded by things that are familiar. There's things that are simple, that are easy for us to understand. That a decree was given, that a census was going to be taken. That the trip had to be made in order to follow the law that was decreed. That Mary gave birth at the right time as she went through the normal process of pregnancy. And when that baby was born in and of himself, they didn't notice anything drastically different about him. Insomuch that they laid him in a manger. A normal birth, a simple birth, one that many of us are are familiar with besides laying the baby in a manger. If that's how you were born, uh, my dad always told me I wasn't raised in a barn, so I'm thinking that's probably not true about me, but maybe you have a different story. 
We know that the conception of Jesus inside the womb of Mary was not normal. The baby that was inside of her was from the Holy Ghost, but we know that everything surrounding it seemed to go off normally, and there was nothing that was causing people to be suspicious. There was nothing that was causing people in this day to think something different was going on. And as God used this normal process to bring about his son Jesus into the world, this brings us great joy because we know that though the things surrounding the birth of Jesus were normal, we know that Jesus himself was not normal. His parents were probably very nice people. They were just ordinary people. Joseph was just an ordinary carpenter. Mary seemingly was just an ordinary girl. Nothing significant about her from a holiness perspective or a righteousness perspective. She was like you and I. And yet as God sought to bring about his son into the world, he used these normal, ordinary, simple circumstances to give the world what they needed. Does it ever amaze you how God can take the simple and the ordinary and do something incredibly complex with it? That God can take the things that we would say are insignificant, the things that we would look past, the things that we wouldn't even notice and say, I'm going to do something significant with those things. We see that through the Gospels all the time. The one that comes to my mind in particular is the little boy's lunch. Did Jesus not do something extraordinary with something that was very ordinary? And here in this instance again, we see that God is going to do something extraordinary with something that seemed from the outside to be very ordinary. And as I read through the Christmas story a couple of times over the last few weeks, my mind kept going back to this question, why did God bring the Savior in this way? The simple answer at first is because that's how he was prophesied. Well, who was it that wrote the prophecies? God did. So why in eternity past did he determine that this was going to be the best way to bring a Savior into the world? Why didn't he just pop Jesus onto the scene at the ripe age of 33 and let him do his thing? And then all of these other things could have not happened. Why why did Jesus come in the way that he came? As I thought through that question in my own mind, I began to think towards the sacrifices of the Old Testament. And we know that those sacrifices in the Old Testament had a, an element of them uh, that, that would, be, would have been appeasing against the wrath of God. But we know when Christ came, His sacrifice had an atoning effect. And not a partially atoning effect, but a complete atoning effect that lasted for eternity. And so there was a difference in some sense between the animals that were sacrificed for the the sins of man in the past versus the sacrifice of Christ as we think of it in the Gospels. And as I thought through that question, why did God bring the Savior in this way? It was almost in my mind as if God is saying, and I believe we believe this to be true, that there was somebody that, that needed to be like them that would take their sins from them. That somebody that that needed to be born in the way that they were born to experience the things that they would experience, but do all of them in perfection and then die in their place. And I think that's exactly what Paul is getting to in Romans chapter 5. And I want you to listen to this lengthy passage. It will be on the screen. You can read it along with me. But Paul says this in Romans chapter 5 verses 12 through 21. 
Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. To stop there, Paul is basically just saying this. Because we are from the line of Adam, the things that Adam did have trickled down to us. Because Adam sinned, we in turn are all sinners. In verse number 13, it continues on and says, For until the law, sin was in the world, but it was not imputed where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. Verse 15, but not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by, the, for as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by, one man's obedience, uh, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous." Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. I would encourage you to to go home and read through that passage very slowly. Uh, I was telling Matt before the service today, Paul was a wordy guy. But that passage is insanely rich. And do you know what it's revealing to us? that we needed one who was like us but lived in perfection to die in our place so that we could receive forgiveness of sins. All of us are sinners after the the nature of Adam. We have not sinned, as this passage said, in the same likeness that he sinned. We didn't take of the fruit as Adam did, but we are all sinners cursed uh, in condemnation to be separated from God forever. And so if God was going to liberate those who found themselves in oppression to sin, he had to do it through one who was like man, only one who lived in perfection. And that's why he sent his son Jesus in the way that he came. And so while the the narrative of the birth of Christ seems like a simple story, in reality, it is a simple story that undoes the complex situation that we find ourselves in. We were dead and on our way to hell for all of eternity. And yet Jesus stepped in as God who became man to die in our place so that we could be forgiven. It's a simple story. And how does it start? It starts with a simple birth. It starts with a decree being given that all the world should be taxed. And Joseph and Mary made their way to Bethlehem. And Mary came to the point in her pregnancy where she was ready to give birth. And as she gave birth, she laid that baby in a manger. And while the the circumstances surrounding the birth of Jesus are simple and normal, we understand that what the birth of Jesus brought about was exactly what the world needed. So while it seems that the answer for the problem 
within the world would need a complex such solution, God says otherwise. And in his perfect wisdom, he sent his son to be born in the manner that all were born in so that he could truly be the savior of the world. I pray, church, that, that we would not think too much of the birth of Christ. And that may sound odd as you hear that statement. But I pray that we would get lost in the simplicity of the birth of Christ. That God used a normal means to bring about his son into the world so that the world could receive salvation. A simple birth. The second thing that we see this morning is a simple message. And I want to read these verses in Luke 2, verses 8 through 14, it says, And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. The simple birth leads us to a simple message. The angels within the Christmas story have always intrigued me. How many were there? Did they sing this whole time or were they speaking at some points and singing at others? Was their presence noticed by others in the surrounding areas? When there was a fire in St. Albans uh, last weekend, we could see the glow in the sky from our house. So imagine what the brightness of these angels would have looked like to those who are around in that country on that day. Could they notice that there was something going on amongst the shepherds who were watching their sheep in the field? How long were they in the sky? We understand it only takes a minute or so to read all that the angels said, but did it last longer than that? And so the angels have intrigued me thinking about them coming onto the scene in the dark night sky and proclaiming the message that Jesus was born. The angels have intrigued me wondering what that would have been like to be a shepherd on that night, seeing these angelic beings hovering over your head, proclaiming that a savior had been born. And while the story of the angels seems complex, as there's a lot of details that we don't fully understand, we do understand this, that the message of the angels was very simple. What did they say? For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. A simple message that the world needed to hear. A simple message that has changed our lives as we sit in this room today when we believe that a Savior has been born. A simple message that hope has come, that that darkness would, would soon be defeated because of the work of Jesus Christ and the offering that He would give as He gave Himself on the cross. A simple message that was preached by the angels back in this day is still the simple message that we proclaim today. As we share the gospel, what is the essence of the message that we proclaim? That a Savior has come, and His name is Jesus. A Savior has come, and His name was Jesus. 
And while this is a simple message, we understand that in some ways this was not the message that many in the world were hoping for. That taxing that was being put on the people in this day, there were many who were hoping for a Savior that would come and alleviate that taxing so that they could be free from the powers that were ruling over them. Many were looking for someone to come on the scene who would transform life as they knew it in the moment from every physical standpoint. And yet as the angels came declaring the message of hope to the world through the shepherds, we see that it was in simplicity they did this as they said these words, a Savior has been born. A Savior has been born. Now, as I said, there are many and were many in the world who are looking for a different type of freedom. And it would seem, even as we understand the reason that Christ came, as it's been told us in the Old Testament and the New Testament, and as seen in Luke 4.18, that, that some of these, uh, these momentary reliefs is, is actually the reason He came. Because it says this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because He hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and rece- uh, recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. As that idea of the Savior coming to do those things was spoken of, many again had a momentary or a temporary idea in their minds that Jesus was coming to do good things. But do we understand today, church, that Jesus didn't just come to do good things in the moment, he came to offer good things for eternity. So there are many in the world who have broken hearts that are looking for something to heal that broken heart in the here and now. And I would offer that Jesus will do that But it's more than just a quick fix for the here and now. It's a fix for all of eternity. Those who are oppressed are are seeking freedom. And many will only think of freedom in the sense that they want freedom here and now. But those of us who are saved, do we not agree today that the freedom that Christ offers is, is applicable to this life? But it's more applicable in the life to come. And so the simple message, though it wasn't one that people were longing to hear, was indeed the message that people needed to hear. And the things that Jesus came to do that they weren't understand by the receivers in the moment, we understand them now as we read the Word of God as something that will last for all of eternity. And Jesus came in a way that wasn't expected, and He did things that people didn't think He would do. And that's part of what makes Him the Messiah. Even to this day, people want Jesus to do things that Jesus never promised he would do. And while they're looking for Jesus to fulfill their desires or their wishes or check everything off their list, they miss him because they don't see him for what he really is. There's a song, I can't even remember who sings it right now, but part of the chorus says, wouldn't it be like you to be different than we thought, or I'm sorry, different than we want, different than we thought, but better. And isn't that the story of Jesus? That he was different than what people thought was coming. He was different than what people even wanted him to be. Yet in the end, what did they find out? That he is so much better. Why? Because as the angels proclaimed from the sky that night, as the shepherds were watching over the sheep, a Savior has been born. So Jesus did not just come to fix our temporary problems. He can do that because he's God. But he came to fix our eternal problems. And he can do that. Why? Because he's God. 
And so the simple birth led to this simple message that a Savior had been born. And as we think about the simplicity of the message, uh, I think it's also true for us to think about this thought that we're the ones who often complicate this idea of the gospel message being so simple. I was talking with somebody the other day and they were sharing with me their testimony of salvation. And they were concerned because as they shared their testimony with others, people told them, well, you better make sure you're really saved. Why? Because their testimony didn't match a church testimony. What's a church testimony? I got saved in Sunday school when I was six years old after hearing the gospel. God saved this horrible, wretched sinner. Truthfully, that is true. When a five-year-old gets saved, a wretched sinner is redeemed. All right, I walked an aisle on a Sunday morning after church, and somebody met me there and showed me through the Word of God how, how they can be saved. Can I ask you, how many here today would say that your salvation experience took place in church? Raise your hand. How many of your salvation experiences took place outside of church? Look around the room. I'm not saying that one is better than the other, but I'm saying oftentimes we're the one who complicate the simple message that God has given to us because we think things need to be done in a certain way. Now, are there elements of salvation that need to be there? Absolutely, 100% yes. You need to realize that you are a sinner who is damned to an eternity in separation from God forever. You need to realize that your sins were not just against those around you, but they were against a holy God. You need to realize that there is nothing in yourself that can save yourself. There's one who can save you, and his name is Jesus. And all of us come to those conclusions in different manners and in different ways. And we don't have to check a certain set of boxes, meaning that our salvation has to look a certain way. The, the, the point of the, the matter is, is that we need to understand that we need to be saved in the first place. And God uses all means and methods to bring people to that conclusion. And so as the message was revealed to the shepherds as they watched their sheep at night. What was that message once again? That a Savior had been born. A Savior had been born. Jesus was on the scene. The one who had come to ransom and redeem a people for himself had now arrived. It is to Jesus that we need to look to. And that's the simple message of the gospel even to this day. That it's not in what I do. It's not even in what I say. But it's who I am placing my faith and trust in. And my faith, and hopefully your faith as well, is in the Savior who was born in Bethlehem over 2,000 years ago. When we add anything to the gospel... And when we take anything away from the gospel, we're changing the gospel. And when you change the gospel, you know what you no longer have? The gospel. And so the simple birth brought about this simple message. And this simple message was that a Savior had been born, that the, the darkness was going to be defeated because one had come on the scene who had the power to overcome that darkness. The simple message again is this in 1 John four fourteen: The Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world, and it is to Jesus that we look for our salvation. So as the shepherds are watching their sheep, imagine being one of those shepherds that night. Maybe sitting around a campfire, Maybe taking account of sheep. Maybe, maybe it was your turn to do the watch while others rested. Imagine sitting there in that field on that night. Typically, at this time of year, as, as 
we think of Jesus being born, it would have been cold. So bundled up, trying to stay warm, and all of a sudden, the heavens open up. And it begins with the angel of the Lord speaking, but then what happens, that he was surrounded with the multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest. And what was the reason for their praise? That a Savior had been born in Bethlehem. And church, what is the reason for our praise today? That a Savior has been born in Bethlehem. That Jesus came. That he was born in the way that God said he would be born to do the work that God had called him to do. And we know that he did every one of those things perfectly. And so he was, as he was born as our Savior over 2,000 years ago, the truth is he still stands as our Savior 2,000 years later because he is indeed God. And I would ask you this morning, have you believed the simple message? You see, there are many in the world who are thinking that if I just do enough, if I try hard enough, if I act good enough, if I give enough, then then God will find favor with me because of what I have done. Friends, understand this. There is no amount of good that you can do that would ever earn you favor with a holy and just and righteous God. But Jesus came to do what you could not do so that you and I could be freed from our sins. And so the simple birth brought about a simple message. A Savior had been born in Bethlehem. And finally, this morning, we see the simple response. The simple response. Again, in verse number 14, as we hear the message of the angels, they say, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into the heaven, the shepherds said one to another, what would you have said? I, I want to know. What would you have said? As the, as the angels went off the scene in an instant, they looked to each other and said, we got to go check this thing out. I think my response likely would have been something like, what was that? <laughs> did you see what I see or saw? Did, did, did we experience that together? The Bible says that when the angels were gone, they said, let us go now even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. What a mixture of emotions must have been flooding through Mary and Joseph and the shepherds as all that happened on this night took place. No doubt Mary was exhausted. Joseph, as is every new dad, was struck with this idea of the new responsibility that was before him. And the shepherds were still wondering why they got to be the ones who heard this life-changing news. But what was their response? Luke does a good job of describing it to us in verse number 19 that as all these things took place, we see that the Bible says this about Mary, but Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. The Greek word that Luke chose here to ponder or for ponder means to toss things around in your mind and compare them in order to put the pieces together 
and arrive at a satisfactory interpretation. Have you ever been there? Something huge just took place before you and you find yourself sitting there maybe with a dazed look in your eyes with a cup of hot chocolate or hot coffee or tea and as the steam is pouring out of that cup, you're just sitting there staring off into the distance thinking through everything that just took place. That's what that word ponder means. And as Mary pondered the, uh, the, the events that had taken place on that night and the things that had taken place beforehand as she received word from the angel that she was the one whom God chose to give birth to his son who would then in turn be the savior of the world. Mary was sitting there either in the stable or in a room at this point thinking through everything that had happened, trying to come up with a satisfactory interpretation as to what just took place here. She knew she hadn't had a sexual relationship with Joseph. She knew that she was innocent, that she had remained pure up until this day. She knew without a doubt that the angel had spoken to her and the angel had spoken to to Joseph as well. And here they were. Many months removed from that first time being met by the the angels. And here they were with a baby laying in a manger. And she was simply pondering, I believe, all that God had done and all that God would do. No doubt she was thinking about the logistical things of a new baby. Are we going to be able to support him? They weren't buying diapers back then. Joseph was probably thinking about, man, i got to wash all these dirty diapers now. As he grows, will we, be, will we be the parents that he needs? Anybody ever thought that about raising kids? I can think of, especially when, when Noah was born. It's life-changing. And you just sit there in those moments where the baby is actually quiet, which, which isn't very often. And for us, we sat in the hospital and looked at him in that bassinet in our room, just thinking about how much life had changed. And no doubt, those things were going through Mary's mind as well. But don't we also believe that Mary was probably likely familiar with the prophecies that were given about Christ in the Old Testament? And as she thought about this baby who was born, on some level she also had to be thinking about if those prophecies were going to be literally fulfilled, that her son would be the savior of the world. It's a lot to think about. And truthfully, it deserves some pondering. It deserves us to to stop and reflect and to think on and dwell on and meditate on all that Christmas means to us. That Christ coming into this world while it's surrounded by normal things is in reality very uh, much not normal because he came as the savior of the world. And as Mary thought through these things, as she tossed them around in her mind, she was seeking to come up with a satisfactory interpretation about all that had taken place on this day. And then as we turn to the shepherds, I imagine there was a little bit of Mary that was overwhelmed by these, these, these rough, probably dirty, likely smelly, and most typically in that day, people that had some sort of criminal record, even in small things. 
that all of a sudden these shepherds, who she didn't know, came knocking on the walls of the stable saying, hey, we're, we're here to see your baby. I can remember the, the last kid that we had. I think it was Charlotte. She's the last one, right? The last baby. No, it was Olivia. No, it was, it was Anderson. I'm sorry. It was Anderson. We were in the hospital, and as you know, I'm not a private person. So when things happen, everybody knows. A baby's being born, and we, I, we, I blasted that news out, giving people play-by-play as the birth process was taking place. And uh, I realize now, all these years removed, that I probably wasn't the husband that I should have been in those moments, but I was what I was, and she loved me through it, and that's a good thing. But after, after I think it was Anderson, after Anderson was born, um, the nurses came in and said, there's a bunch of people here to see you. I'm like, send them in. It's a party, right? Like, just bring them in. And before we knew it, we probably had 15 people in a room at one time. And here my wife is laying in a bed, still dazed and confused over what happened. I'm having the time of my life. Like, this is our new baby. Come check out our new baby. And so I don't know how the shepherds got in, but if Joseph was anything like me, that's how the shepherds got in. And here they were, surrounding the manger, seeing this baby that had been born, thinking about the message that the angels had just revealed to them, thinking through the prophecies that were given and talked about for years and years and years on end. And there was something inside of them that when the angels gave them that message, they said these words, let us go now, even unto Bethlehem. Why? To see this thing that the Lord has made known to us. You see, the shepherds as as simple as they probably, pro- probably were, they had an understanding that something deeply impactful to the world just took place. And they wanted to go and check it out. And as they made their way to the stable, as they found where Mary and Joseph were, as they saw that little baby, I believe they worshipped. And why do I believe that? Because of what verse 20 says. Because when they left, what did they do? And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. And so in this moment, when the Savior of the world was born, Mary finds herself pondering and the shepherds find themselves worshiping. And if there are two responses that the Christmas story should pull out of us, it is these very responses that we spend time pondering what God has done for us in sending his son. And as we ponder, we then spend time worshiping because we understand that without him, we would have no hope in this world. I wonder, church, have you spent time pondering Christmas this Christmas season? We were looking at our calendar the other day, and it's, it's stupid crazy, the things that go on this time of year. And you know what oftentimes that leaves us with? No time to ponder. I'm not saying it's wrong to be busy, and I love the Christmas festivities. I I love Christmas parties. I love Christmas get-togethers. But if all we're doing is getting together and not really pondering the reason for the season, could it be true that we've actually missed what Mary and the shepherds experienced over 2,000 years ago? 
And so as Mary tossed these things around in her mind, trying to make sense of them, as she pondered on all the events that had taken place leading up to this moment and including this moment, and as the shepherds heard the message from the angels, and as they came to the place where Jesus was, we see that they go away worshiping. And I believe with all my heart that this is still the simple response that Christmas demands, that we ponder and that we worship that we think through God becoming flesh and dwelling among us, being made like us so that he could be the one who died for us in our place. That as we ponder all that God has done on our behalf, that it would lead us to worship him. We know that the shepherds as they left, they made known abroad the saying. And people wondered at it. They wondered at the the messengers, first off, most likely, wondering if the message of these shepherds would be trustworthy. And then they they wondered at the message itself. Was a Savior really born? Was a Savior really born? And you know what the overflow of the shepherds' lives were in this moment as they pondered and as they worshipped? It was telling other people about the good things that they had seen. Church, has God done good things in your life? There are some of you in here tonight or today that are in hard, hard seasons of life. But in my conversations with you, you know what we've always agreed on? That God is still good. And so even in the difficult moments of life, may our lives still flow forth with this idea of worship that when others see us, they can see there's something different about us. And in turn, that that would open up a door for us to tell them about the Savior who was born in Bethlehem. And so as we can see today, Luke 2, 1 through 20 is, is truly a simple story. It's about a baby who was born. But the effects of the Christmas story are life-changing. The baby has been born, but we can rejoice today that he didn't stay a baby. He became a man who would then die in our place. Jesus didn't bring him, bring with him a simple change that would only last for a season, but he came bringing change that would last for all of eternity. He came in a humble manner, but he deserves to be worshipped as God, for that is indeed who he is. So what will you do with the Christmas story this year? What will you do with the simple Christmas story this year. The big idea again was this, while the depths of the Christmas story are unsearchable, the message of the Christmas story is really very simple. <clears throat> According to John, it's this, the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. In this simple message, we find true and lasting hope. The last few weeks, I've ended with the words of a Christmas song, and today I want to end with a couple of verses from a little town of Bethlehem. For Christ is born of Mary and gathered all above. While mortals sleep, the angels keep the holy birth and praise and praises sing to God the King and peace to all on earth. How silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given. 
So God imparts to human hearts the blessings of his heaven. No ear may hear his coming, but in this world of sin, where meek souls still receive him still, the dear Christ enters in. What a simple message. What a simple story. But what a change it makes when we truly believe it by faith. God, we're thankful today that we can gather in your house and look at this all at times too familiar story to us, God. I thank you for the truths that are held within it, that Jesus came as a baby. God, we're thankful for the prophecies that were fulfilled, and we know this wasn't just by happenstance, but as Paul tells us, when the fullness of time was come, you sent forth your Son, born of a woman, and born under the law to redeem those of us who were oppressed by the law. And because of what Christ has done for us, we can rejoice in this truth today that we can receive or become your adopted sons and daughters. God, I pray today if there's any here who have never trusted Christ, that today would be the day of their salvation. That they would recognize the hopelessness that is within themselves. And at the very same time, your spirit would lead them to the hope that's found in Christ alone. And God, for those of us who are saved, I pray that we would spend time pondering and worshiping this Christmas season. Certainly we're busy. There are many things that are pulling for our attention. And there are many good things. But God, we know there's one ultimate, ultimate thing that deserves our attention, and I pray that we would give him the attention that's due his name. We thank you again for the way that you love us. We thank you for your kindness towards us. And even when we were your enemies, God, you still stepped in to offer us redemption through your son, Jesus Christ. May we never get over the simple Christmas story. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.